you worshiping you as we listen to your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, today is our last Sunday in this series that we've been going through called Shared. So we've been talking about, uh, for the last four or five weeks, our life together as God's people. So, see if you can remember. First, we talked about we have a shared identity. We have a shared identity. We're God's people. We're family because of what Jesus has done. And then we talked about a shared authority that we live life under God's Word. We have a shared mission to make disciples. And then last week, we do all of that with a shared motive, which is for anyone? The glory of God. Yes. So that's where we've been. And today, we're going to talk. Those are all kind of positive things, mostly. Identity, authority, mission, motive. But today we're talking about something that's not so positive. A shared threat. So this is a threat that as God's people we share together. Um, But before I tell you exactly what that threat is, I'd like to tell you just a short story that that I hope will uh, will illustrate that. So most of you know that I grew up in southwest Wyoming. Um... No, woo-hoo for Wyoming. <laughs> there we go. Uh, they're all still in Wyoming. They're not here. Um, so in Wyoming, we hunted for all our, our meat. Um, so my family didn't buy beef. We went out and hunted big game. And uh, so when I was about 13, I went on my first deer hunt. I, I first got a deer license. And I went out with my rifle for my first deer hunt. And I remember I had a great opportunity. There I was, and a deer was not too far in front of me, and it wasn't moving very quickly, and my rifle was loaded and ready. So it should have been meat in the freezer. Um, but in that moment, I got incredibly nervous, and I got shaky and anxious, and I couldn't even track a thought through my brain. Um, I was a mess, but I knew this deer is right here. I've got to go for it. So I raised my loaded rifle. I finally found the deer in the scope. And then I went, bang, 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 six times. (laughs) But my rifle never fired. You see... I literally shouted the word, bang, six times. I was in such a nervous fog that I was yelling bang and ejecting live bullets from my rifle. So that deer lived to die another day. Um, But what happened in that moment, in my nervous fog, I forgot the most important thing about rifle hunting. If you're going to be successful, yeah, you have to pull the trigger. (laughs) So I forgot the most important thing. And as funny and as crazy as that experience is, it, it points us to a more sobering truth, which is as Christians who 
live in a sinful world who are still sinners, we often forget what's most important. And what's most important is the message of Jesus, the gospel, the good news. We tend to forget it. And so the shared threat we could call this morning gospel amnesia. And since we all face that threat, we need regular, regularly reminded of the gospel. And we're not the first ones who have needed this. We're going to look at a passage today in 1 Corinthians. So if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. The church at Corinth also forgot the gospel and needed a reminder. You see, some of the Corinthians, they were denying a, a central belief of the Christian faith. They were saying that there would be no resurrection of the dead. And Paul will actually spend that whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, addressing that false belief. But before he addresses it, he reminds the, the Corinthian church of what he says is of first importance. He reminds them of the gospel message. So it looks like Paul's saying, let me remind you of what's most important. Let me remind you of the gospel because if you get that, then how, how can you really say there will be no resurrection of the dead? So today we're going to focus in just on those first verses, so 1 through 11, where Paul is reminding the Corinthians of the gospel that he'd already preached to them. So let's read. Um, I'll read from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. And the words will be on the screen. But I'd encourage you today to have your Bible open in front of you, whether that's uh, your book Bible or your phone or your tablet. Or there's Bibles in the back by the coffee if you don't have one. I think today it will be helpful for you to have the Word of God in front of you in your own hands. So 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's pray together and ask God to, to shape our hearts, to teach us His truth as we look at this passage today. Lord, as we look to your word, we pray that you would capture our hearts afresh today with the truth of what's firstly important, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So in this section that we just looked at, Paul says he's reminding the Corinthians of something he calls the gospel. So today, we're just going to do something very simply simple. We're going to explore that word gospel. We're going to look at a question. What is the gospel? That's one question we'll address. And then since Paul's reminding the Corinthians of it, the second question we'll talk about is, why do we need to be reminded of the gospel? So first, let's dive into that first question. What is the gospel? Does anybody have a quick, just a quick synonym or definition that you would give for the gospel? What, is, what does that word mean, gospel? Good news, great. Yes, so, so gospel means good news or, or the announcement or proclamation of good news. But in the Bible, it's not just any good news. It's specifically the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. So this is really important, so I want to say it again. The gospel is the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done. I think we can see that very clearly in this passage today. So, so you can see that it's about what Jesus has done. That's clear. It mentions his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, but also, I think we can learn about who Jesus is. So if you look at the, at the mm, second part of verse 3, it says, Christ died for our sins. Now, we know from, from the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we know that Jesus of Nazareth, He was crucified, he was buried, and he was resurrected. But it's interesting, Paul doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth died for our sins. He doesn't even say Jesus died for our sins, even though those things are completely true. But Paul says Christ, Christ died for our sins. And maybe you're so used to hearing the name of our Lord and Savior today that you think, Jesus is his first name and, and Christ is his last name. Um, but that's, that's not the case. Christ is actually a wonderful title that tells us who Jesus is. So Christ means the anointed one, or it means the Messiah. The Christ is the fulfiller of Israel's expectation for a deliverer. So when this passage says Christ died for our sins, it's making an incredible statement about who Jesus is. He is the deliverer that God promised. He is the anointed Messiah. So do you see how right from the get-go, the beginning of the gospel message tells us who Jesus is? And it doesn't stop, though, we know, with just who he is. It's also about what he's done. So let's read on. It says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, we've heard that a lot, that Christ died for our sins. We've sung about it today. But today, just for a moment, um, let's really try to wrap our minds around that phrase. Christ died for our sins. We can nod our heads and say amen to that, but I wonder, and I realized this week that I had this problem, I don't always get how shocking, how scandalous that phrase is to say, Christ died for our sins. 
So in Arizona, there's 124 death row inmates. So these are people that have they've committed crimes that are so awful, so heinous, that our courts have said, you are condemned to death, sir. You are condemned to death, ma'am. Um, so can you imagine what you might think if tomorrow when you open up your paper or turn on the news, you saw that, that some nice young man from out of town had struck a deal with the state and he took the death penalty. They filled up the needle with 124 doses of lethal injection. He took the death penalty and that those 124 inmates were freed from their death sentence. So, imagine you read that in the paper tomorrow. I see some eyebrows raising. You would be shocked. I would be shocked. We'd be talking about it for who knows how long. It'd be, it'd be called the scandal of Arizona's history for, for the rest of the future. This would be huge. But, brothers and sisters, the truth is something far greater has happened. And really, that illustration, it's imperfect. There's some problems with it. It's not a perfect match. And it certainly doesn't even begin to do justice to the truth that Christ died for our sins. So Jesus, even though he existed in the form of God, he emptied himself. He became a servant. He was obedient even to death, even death on a cross. He suffered in our place, the perfect, righteous one for us, for sinners. That is a shocking and scandalous message. And the clear implication that we might not want to accept is that we are indeed sinners. can't say Christ died for our sins without acknowledging we are sinners. So in our sins, we're alienated from God, Scripture teaches. We're condemned to death. But as we read this morning, God demonstrates His love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's that first part of the gospel message, and I pray that it never gets old. I pray that every time we hear it, and every time I hear it, that we're filled with deep, deep wonder, with, with gratitude, with humility. But the, the message doesn't end there. It goes on, and the gospel is the good news that Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that's equally shocking. We've heard it so often that we don't get it, but the claim is that a man was crucified and that three days later he rose from the dead. So you've heard that so often that, that it, it just feels normal. That's not normal. People don't rise from the dead. So this is an amazing message, and it's not just amazing in, in what it says, but it's amazing in what it means for us. The New Testament says there's so many implications of the resurrection that are such blessings to all of us who have believed in Christ. So the resurrection means Jesus, as we sang, has conquered sin and death. Is that good? Yes. 
That's amazing. The resurrection means that, that we can have right standing with God. Romans 4.25 says He was raised for our justification. The resurrection means that we can have a hope for the future. The whole rest of this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes a case. He says, the resurrection of Jesus, that's the basis for our hope that one day, even these broken bodies will be raised to new life. That's mysterious, that's crazy, but it's our great hope that one day we await a resurrection. And Jesus' resurrection ensures it. The resurrection also means that we can be empowered for following Jesus today. So Romans 8.11 says that the same Spirit that rose, that raised Jesus from the dead is the Spirit that indwells our hearts, the Spirit that gives life to our mortal bodies for following Jesus. So the death and resurrection of Jesus, I hope you're remembering, this is great news. It tells us who Jesus is. It tells us what He's done. So we know now in the Gospel that God's dealt with our sin. He's provided forgiveness. And He's given us a great hope, the hope of resurrection. That's good news. But I believe this passage in 1 Corinthians today, I think it shows us more about what the Gospel is. It also shows us that the Gospel message is it's true and it's rooted in history. So the gospel, it's a true message. It's rooted in history. And we can see this right, right here in this passage. But before we look at that, I just, I'm, I'm curious if you're aware of people who believe that everything I've just said, they'd say that's all really important, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But it probably didn't happen, especially the resurrection. Have you met anybody who thinks that way? You could probably find some people across the street that teach that. They say, this, this belief is important because it's, it's, a, it's a myth that shapes our spirituality. It gives us hope for living. But really, the resurrection, it didn't happen. So it, if you're exposed to that thinking today, I pray that you'll realize that is not an option presented by the text of Scripture. And honestly... The Scriptures say if it didn't happen, then it doesn't matter. And it's not important. So it matters that the Gospel is rooted in history. And I think Paul gives really clear, clear indications that this is a historical message. Let's look at, at verses, uh, let's see, 3 through, through 7. It says, Christ died for our sins. We've already talked about that in accordance with the Scriptures. But then Paul includes this, this short phrase, that he was buried. So do you realize the, the mention of a burial? That, that's historical proof for Jesus' death. It's implying there was really a dead body that was really, literally laid in a tomb in real space and time. This, this isn't a myth that describes something spiritual. This is a real historical event that's being described. And then Paul goes on and says that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's the Aramaic name for Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So the Gospel isn't just that Christ rose, but Paul gives historical proof. He, he, 
He rose, but then he was seen by, by Peter, by James, by the twelve, by the apostles. And then Paul, he, he like, if the historical proof isn't already heavy, he loads it on. He says more than 500 people saw the risen Lord at one point. So there's, there's a Bible scholar named Craig Keener that has a really important insight here. And let's just read his words. It'll be on the screen. He says, Paul graphically emphasizes the reality of his claim. A mass hallucination of over 500 persons simultaneously is difficult to sustain. So Paul's giving historical proof. But if, if you read further, he actually he takes it a step further still. He's, he mentions these 500 and then he says, most of whom are still alive although some have fallen asleep. So what he's saying is, at this time that he's writing, most of these people who saw the risen Lord are still alive. A few of them have died. Do you see what he's doing to the Corinthians? He's saying, if you deny the resurrection, if, and it, even more important, if you deny that Jesus rose from the dead, there is the greater part of 500 people still alive whose eyewitness testimony is completely completely the opposite of what you're saying. So Paul is giving historical proof. So the gospel, it is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, but it's also a true message rooted in history. We're not gathered here today around a fable. We're gathered here today because something really happened. And next, I think Paul shows us that the gospel is a wonderful treasure that has been handed down to us. So look at verse 3. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul's saying, I'm not making something up and handing it to you. I'm only passing down what was given to me. And that word delivered, maybe a stronger translation could be handed down. And that handing down language, that's, that's common for, for Jewish teachers who would hand down their teachings and their traditions to those who followed them. And if you're a student of a rabbi and he hands down to you his teaching, you embrace that, you treasure it, you seek to remember every single word. And so this language, it reminds us that the message we have today, it's a treasure that has been handed down. So I want us to think about this for a moment. Do you realize that the reason that you heard the message of the gospel in your lifetime, the reason that happened is because in God's grace, that gospel message was protected and then it was handed down from generation to generation to generation. We could say that quite a few more times from person to person, and then one day it was handed to you. Maybe from a pastor, a parent, a friend, a teacher. And do you realize that if you traced the handing down of the gospel all the way back, you'd get to Jesus Christ and the eyewitnesses of his resurrection? Is that amazing today? In the gospel, we have a treasure that has been handed down to us. We get to embrace it, believe it, have our lives changed by it. And then 
It's not a treasure that we hoard away. It's a treasure that we extend to the world around us. I encourage you, think of the gospel message as a treasure that has been handed down to you. And Paul has more to say about the gospel. The the last thing that we'll talk about that the gospel is, is that it's the most important message that there is. And that sounds like a no-brainer, but we, I don't think we always live that way. So Paul makes this very clear in verse 3. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance. So he's saying there's, there's no message that rivals this one. So the, the gospel, it's of first importance. It's the most important message that there is precisely because it's announcing the most important message event of all history. So twice in this passage, Paul says, according to the Scriptures. Christ died according to the Scriptures, buried and was raised according to the Scriptures. So he's talking about the Old Testament, which is a true telling of history, and it all points towards Jesus. So he's saying, Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done, this is the most important event in all of history. It's not just that, but the gospel, it's the most important announcement that any person will ever hear. It's transforming. It's life-changing. And we can see that in our passage, how Paul is changed by the gospel. Look at verse 9. Paul writes, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So do you see, he's got an awareness of his sinfulness. He's got an awareness of what he deserves. But then he goes on in verse 10 and says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul realized this message is most important and it's the most important message that can change my life. In that message, he realized there's a great God who desired his salvation, provided for it in Jesus Christ. And so he says, it's by God's grace I am what I am and it's his grace at work within me. So we've, we've covered a lot of ground and we're about to go to the second question, which is why should we be reminded of the gospel? But let's just recap what we've said. First, we've said... The gospel is the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. It's a true message rooted in history. It's a wonderful treasure that has been handed down to us. And you might be tired of hearing about this because we talk about the gospel a lot, but it's the most important message that there is. So the church at Corinth clearly needed reminded of it, but I believe that when the Holy Spirit inspired these words to the church at Corinth, He also inspired these words for our benefit. And so we also need to be reminded today. So let's explore this second question. Why do we need to be reminded of the gospel? As I thought about this, really quickly, a couple reasons came to mind. First of all, we know we have an enemy, right? So Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy um, elsewhere, Paul, Paul writes to the Corinthians that the enemy wants to draw our hearts away from the truth of Jesus. He wants to lead us away from simple devotion to Christ. 
So that's a reason we need reminded. We're also well aware that sin regularly distorts our thinking, right? Distorts my thinking. So we need reminded of the gospel. Those are certainly good reasons, but I think there's, there's an overarching reason that we see in this text today why we need to be reminded of the gospel. And really, this is, this is the big idea that I want us to take home today. This is the important message that, that I hope you take with you. And it's this. The gospel is for the whole Christian life. So let me unpack what I mean when I say that. When we say the gospel is for the whole Christian life, I mean that the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done, it should shape every detail of our lives as Christians from start to finish. Paul makes this really clear in verses 1 and 2. So let's just walk through this carefully. Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received. So which you received, that's describing the beginning of the Christian life when we believe the message. Then he says, still talking about the gospel, in which you stand. So as believers, we stand on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. Presently, today, that's what we're supposed to stand in. And also by believing that good news, as we've already talked about, we have a right standing with God. So there we see the beginning of the Christian life in which the gospel you received, and then our foundation, the gospel in which you stand. Then he goes on to say, still talking about the gospel, by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So the New Testament teaches that by faith in Christ, we have been saved from from death, from separation from God. But it also teaches that there's a present ongoing work of salvation that is working itself out. We're being saved presently from the power of sin. The Bible calls that sanctification. So that's about the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. It's about us cooperating in obedience. And the end result that God desires is that we would look more and more like Jesus. And Paul says, it's the good news. It's the gospel that's at work by which you are being saved. So that good news, it plays a present role in your struggle with sin, your struggle to follow Jesus. But there's a warning here that that we can't ignore today. Paul says, by which also you are saved if, if you hold fast, unless you believed in vain. So we can't, we can't get around the warning. Paul's, Paul's very clear that the saving and, and sanctifying work of the gospel, it, it has no bearing on our lives if we don't hold fast to it. So this only makes gospel reminders even more important. So the call is hold fast to the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. So do you see... How, how the gospel is for the whole Christian life when you look at that passage. 
It's for the beginning. It's what we receive. It's our foundation, what we stand in. And it's, it's for our present salvation by which we are being saved. So we need to be reminded of that because that good news, it should shape every detail of our lives as Christians. So now we, we get to talk about what that might mean for us. So how, how do we apply that? If the good news really is for all of life, if who Jesus is and what he's done, if that message should affect every detail of my life, um, how, how do I apply that? How do I live in the light of that? And today the, the application I'd like to share with you is just very, very simple. It's exactly what Paul says he's wanting to do to remind them of the gospel. The application is remember the gospel. So bring it to mind over and over, day after day, hour by hour, think about who Jesus is and what he's done. And today, I'd like to offer you just a simple exercise that's been helpful for me, how you might do that. I'd encourage you just to ask yourself on a regular basis, ask yourself a very simple question. How should the gospel affect and then you fill in the blank with whatever person, situation, trial, particular issue you're dealing with. So how should the gospel affect? So we could break down the question even more and say, how should the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, how should it shape this particular course of action, this temptation, this trial? So some examples of what that might look like. Those of you who, who are here today and you're retired, either you have been for a long time or just recently, ask yourselves, how should the gospel shape my life as a retired person? How should the good news of Jesus shape what I do with the rest of my life now that I'm retired? And whether or not you're retired, if you're like me, you, you've already known loved ones who've passed away. And, and as we get older, we realize our, our bodies are breaking down and we start to come to grips with our mortality. It can be a place of fear. But we should ask ourselves, how should the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, how should it shape the way we think about that? Parents, ask yourselves, how should the gospel shape the way you respond to your children today when they're at their best and when they're at their worst. Husbands, wives, ask yourselves, how should the good news of, of who Jesus is and what he's done, how should that shape the way I live with my spouse? How should that shape the way I go about loving her or him if you're a woman? Serving them, forgiving them. You realize the gospel has implications on all of those things. Employees today, think about tomorrow when you're at work. How should the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, how should that affect how I conduct myself in the workplace? How should the gospel affect my conversations with coworkers today? How should the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done how should that affect my career ambitions and how I think about all of that? So students, high school, junior high, even college students, 
How should the gospel affect how I think about my future? How I interact with my peers? And even kids, the gospel's for children too. How should the gospel affect the way you live at home? The way you act at recess? The way you treat other children around the lunch table? Those are some simple ones, just thinking about different age groups and how the gospel applies. But maybe, not maybe, there's people here, probably most of us, that struggle with really strong, severe temptations. How does the good news of Jesus affect the way we think about our response to those temptations? There's others of of us here who are struggling under the weight of guilt and shame over sins that we wish we could take back. How does the good news of Jesus shape the way you think about that? You see what we're doing? We're just we're saying, how can we bring this good news if it is of first importance, and if we do need reminded of it, how can we bring it to bear on every detail of our lives? And as I look back over the past few weeks as I was preparing to share this, I realized, ah, I have not remembered the gospel well. I can think of numerous instances. So I need to remember it, but I also need reminded. So don't just ask yourselves those questions. Let's be willing to start asking each other more and more those types of questions that we just walked through. So we don't want to be people who only receive the good news, that that first part of the verse. We want to be people who stand in the good news. We want to be people who are increasingly changed, saved from the power of sin as we remember who Jesus is and what He's done. And I assure you that this is much easier to talk about than for us to actually put into practice. So let's pray for the Holy Spirit to empower us and lead us in those efforts. And maybe there's some of you who are here today and this gospel message, this this word about who Jesus is, that He's the promised deliverer and what He's done, that He's died for our sins, that He was buried and raised again. Maybe you're hearing that and either you're understanding it for the first time or you're hearing it for your very first time. If that's you today, then I would encourage you and I would plead with you, please believe in that message. Believe in the good news that Jesus died for your sins and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day as Scripture said He would. If you'll believe that today, you can know God's forgiveness even now. You can know that you don't have to try to pay for all the things that you know you've done wrong. You don't have to try to earn God's favor and make up for those things. That would be impossible for us to do anyways. You can know that Christ died for your sins. And as you think about your future and you think about death and fear that, you can know that because of Jesus Christ, you have the hope of eternal life with God. And that even as Christ was raised, so one day God can raise you to life with Him. you haven't believed that message today, please believe it. 
And after we close, I'll be up here. And if that's you and you'd like someone to talk with or pray with, I'd welcome you to come chat with me. Also, if there's leaders here, I'd encourage you to be available. And believer, if you're here today and as you hear this, you think, man, I I have not been living in light of those truths. In fact, I can't remember the last time I really seriously considered what that message might mean for whatever area of your life it might be. If that's you, share with someone today. Pray even today. Be willing to be asked that hard question. How does the gospel shape that part of your life even today? Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the good news. We're so thankful that we know who Jesus is. He's God in flesh. He's the Deliverer. He's our Redeemer, our Savior. And we know what He's done. He's died for our sins. And He's risen. God, I pray that we would order our lives in the light of that truth. That there would be no detail or corner that we seek to keep from the implications of of a Savior who loved us and gave Himself for us. And Lord, I pray for any in the room who have not, have never believed that message, that even today they would believe it, that they would talk with someone, that they would come to understand how wonderful this great news is. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.